Amen. All right, check this out. One day, this uh, woman's husband, uh, she, he suddenly died. Okay, but fortunately, though, he had left her $20,000 to cover the expenses for the funeral and stuff like that. And after everything was done and the funeral and stuff, uh, she goes up to one of her closest friends and she says, Hey, I, I got no money left. And so her friend says, well, <laughs> wait a second, how can that be? I mean, you just told me that your husband left you $20,000 just a few days back uh, to take care of things. How in the world could you already be broke? And the lady replied, she says, well, you see, the funeral home uh, cost $6,000. And, and of course, I made the obligatory donation to the church. That was another $2,000. And so the rest of it went for the memorial stone. And so the lady's friend says, whoa, are you serious? $12,000 for the memorial stone? My goodness, how big is it? And the other woman extended her left hand and said, oh, it's about three carats. <laughs> oh, no, no. Why are you even laughing at that? That ain't funny. <laughs> That's the wrong kind of stone, you know what I'm saying? Whoo, wow. Now, folks, uh, you know, read between the lines there. I mean, obviously, how many guys would say that that marriage was apparently had some serious ongoing friction, right? Before the guy died, okay. The stone gives it away, okay. And folks, believe it or not, did you know that I've noticed that the same thing is going on with Christians all the time? This ongoing friction, only it's not happening in their earthly relationship, their marriage with one another as husbands and wives. It's happening in their spiritual marriage with Jesus Christ, okay? And it's not when they find out that their spouse blew all the money of, on their funeral on a diamond ring. Listen, it's this. It's when they actually consider hanging out with God as if that were a bad thing. Can you imagine that? And so again, the question is this, how in the world did it get this way as a Christian? How in the world did it ever become something horrible, detrimental to spend time with God, the creator of the universe? And again, as we've been seeing, folks, I mean, it didn't start off that way, right? I mean, when we first got saved, we couldn't wait to spend time with God. We, we, we longed for God. We loved God. And so that's the question, how in the world did it get like that? Well, folks, what we've uh, been seeing and what I've learned personally over the years, it's simply this. It's when we forget what we have in Jesus Christ, what he really did die on the cross, the joy set before him, and that was for opening the way so that you and I could have a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, God, the creator of the universe. Isn't that awesome? And here's what we've been seeing, folks. When we lose sight of that, all of a sudden, it doesn't take a week. It doesn't take a month. As soon as you lose sight of that wonderful truth, just like that, overnight, your once vibrant, awesome, exciting walk with Jesus just turned into that dry, stale, boring, man-made religion called churchianity. You guys heard that stuff? Seen that stuff? Yeah. As we've been seeing, it's a horrible, wretched disease. And apparently, it's affecting the American church. And therefore, to stave off this deadly disease called churchianity, uh, here at Sunrise, we're going to continue in our study called Renewing Your Faith. Turn to somebody and say, it's time to renew your faith. Okay? It's time to renew your faith. And what we're doing is we're revisiting all the so-called basics of Christianity. You know, the things that we Christians do. Except this time, we're going through a renewed set of eyes. We're looking at them again through the eyes of a relationship. Why? Well, thanks for asking, Ron. It's because that's what we got with God, right? We say that, but do we treat it that way? Okay, is the problem. We don't. And the first thing we saw that we need to get reacquainted with through the eyes of a relationship is a renewed prayer life. Okay? The second thing we saw was a renewed worship. The third thing that we saw was a renewed service. And then the last two times, if you were here at the study, we saw the fourth thing was a renewed Bible study. And what we saw, guys, is listen, it's not hard to understand. The Bible, listen, this is not trigonometry. This is not some, you know, calculus mathematic book, okay? This is 66 letters written by God, love letters for his children. Why? So that we have the privilege of getting to know him better before we ever get to heaven. 
And it wasn't something mystical, magical, or only the super brainiacs know how to do. Okay, anybody can do it. You just exert yourself, you make haste, you give diligence towards it, just like we're already doing with other things, except now you apply it to the Bible, right? We read all kinds of other stuff, just do the same thing with the Bible. And we certainly don't do it with this attitude of carelessness or aimlessness or trying to impress somebody else. We don't do that when it comes to other normal relationships. So therefore, why do we do that in our relationship with God, okay? But the fifth thing is, we need to get back, seriously folks, to a renewed sense of what? Fellowship. We really, really do. Again, turn to somebody and say, I need you, man. And we do, folks, big time, especially as the day approaches, okay? In the last days, that's what the Bible says. But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Once again, haven't said it in a while. The only book in the Bible that proves that men must make the coffee in the morning Hebrews, that's right, not Hebrews, Hebrews. Hey, it's good after six months. You got to let it lie for a little while because you, anyway. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, let's take a look at the context of what's going on here. Why do we need each other? Well, we not only need each other because we're the church, okay. And, uh, but we're going to see as the days get closer, the closer we get towards the last days, which we are in, folks, uh, we're really going to need each other. So you might as well just learn the lesson now. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Uh, let's take a look at what's going on here. And why we need each other. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, the actual uh, presence of God, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, over the house of God, let's what? Freak out and run? No, man. Let us draw near to God. Wow, what a privilege. With a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he, God, who promised is what? He's faithful. And not only that, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the what? The day approaching. We know in the scripture and certainly with Bible prophecy, folks, it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets a whole lot better. Amen? So that's why he says we need each other, especially as times are going to get worse. Okay, but what we see here, according to our text, is we got some awesome, fantastic news here in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews here. And he says, listen, if you and I, as a Christian, are going to persevere in the Christian life, period, that's the context, but certainly persevere as it gets harder and we're persecuted, okay, as the day approaches, okay, what did it say there? He gave me some great things to focus on. Number one, he says, listen, we keep drawing near to God in full assurance of faith in prayer, realizing that we really have been cleansed from a guilty conscience through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He has now become our eternal high priest, which means he's forever is making intercession for us, which means we are forever in a clean, absolute, spotless, blameless position before God right now. And we can have access to his throne at any time. Isn't that awesome? Right? That's what he says there. This is what we got. This is what God's given. Don't ever forget that. You need to draw near to him. Don't let anybody say, you can't speak directly to God. Jesus has won that for us. Now that's an encouragement in hard times, right? Go to God, number one. Number two, he says we need to hold unswervingly to the hope that we have in God, that God will do what he says he's going to do. Did you know that he's going to take us to heaven? Did you know that he hasn't saved us just for this place? 
which is a garbage can compared to what God has prepared for us in eternity. If God created this world in six days and he's been working on our bridal chamber for 2,000 years, this place is a dump. I can't wait to get there. But here's the good news. Has anybody ever blown it after you got saved? Raise your hand. Hey, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're either not saved or you just did. It's called lying. Okay, we all have. Okay, so we're all on even ground. But here's the point. So we even blow it after a Christian and the enemy's going to come in and not only try to get you to not draw near to God, to have the strength to persevere, but then he'll trick you and say, oh, listen, you're not really saved. Or God can't say, are you lost? Your no. God is faithful. It's his salvation, not ours. Nobody can snatch us out of his hand. We're going to heaven. Isn't that awesome? Right? So even when you're having hard times and persevering, draw near to God and praise God, we're out of this trash can one day. Amen? Now he gets to three, and this is how you and I can be a benefit to one another. And that's our relationship with God, the first two, and what he's done for us, this third one there. He says this, we need to keep spurring each other on as Christians, and we need to keep meeting together. Why? Because that's how you encourage one another. It needs two people in the same place with lips going back and forth. <laughs> right? So you, you, you spur each other on as Christians and you keep meeting together, i.e. what we call fellowship. And then when we meet together, we beat each other up. No, 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 no. Wrong translation. He says you need to encourage one another. So don't just come together. But keep on coming together. And then when you come together, not only enjoy these wonderful truths from God, but as God's people, encourage one another. Why? Because he says right here, because if we Christians are going to make it through these horrible last days, okay, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse, folks. Even now, the rapture could happen at any moment and praise God, we're out of here. But it's going to get worse. Each day is progressively getting worse. And so if you and I as Christians are going to make it and persevere through these horrible last days, then we've got to keep on meeting together. We've got to keep on hanging out together. And when we hang out together, we encourage each other as much as we possibly can so we can be faithful to take our stand and declare God's wonderful truth to the lost in the meantime. Right? We don't just sit here and twiddle our thumbs. We get active. We occupy. We make a difference. Why? Because did you know that God wants other people besides us to be saved? What? Yeah, it's a neat concept. He likes all kinds of different people in his family, you know. He does. And they're only going to know if we tell us. But sometimes life is hard. Sometimes we struggle to persevere. Sometimes we get sidetracked. Sometimes sin drags us down. And, but we forget. And that's what he's saying. Don't forget. You're cleansed. You're acceptable just as much today as you were the first day you got saved. Isn't that awesome? And you're really going to heaven. And as Christians, when we come together, we encourage each other with this stuff, amongst other things. And then we get busy telling other people because God doesn't want us to get there empty-handed. Isn't that awesome? And so here's the point. That's what he's telling us, okay? And so surely we're taking advantage of this. Isn't this great? I mean, think about this. This is the ultimate annual free pep talk every week. You can get dragged down by this world and all the rotten stuff. But when we, the people of God, come together, we encourage one another. We're excited. We're working together. We're getting the gospel out. It makes sense out of living in this trash can. In the meantime, it's awesome. We appreciate fellowship, right? Well, unfortunately, we got this guy again. Hey, folks, let's be honest, okay? Uh... I just love that sound. 
be honest, man. Well, most of the times when it comes to fellowship, i.e. hanging out with other Christians, because that's what the code word means, that's not our attitude, right? I mean, we've got bowling coming up. What is that? Christ, all Christians who are godly and fundamental bowl. No. <laughs> it's just an opportunity to hang out, get, to get to know each other outside of church services. What a concept. Why? So we can keep on encouraging one another. You don't have to wait just for Sunday or after services. Hey, we got the, the chili cook-off coming. This going to be fun. I think. <laughs> it's just about why. Because we all Christians, if you're a Christian, you have to eat a potluck. Otherwise, you're not safe. No. It's an opportunity for us to hang out. Outside of right now, we can hang out, talk, encourage. Eat. That's what it is. That's why we're doing these things, guys. It's for our benefit. Unfortunately, you look across the American church today, and that's not what people do. Look at all these opportunities that you work so hard at providing platforms for us to get together. And frankly, we're a little bit off standish with each other. We keep our distance. Like this guy shares. Let's take a look. There's a lot of hand sanitizer in church. Anybody notice that? I don't know. At my church, they have these two hand sanitizer stations right by the front door greeters. That is not a good message. People come in on Sunday, how you doing? Nice to see you all. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming. You're going to love it here. We just love people. You can just be yourself. You can just be yourself. We don't care. We don't judge you. We just love. You sit back and whatever questions you have, you let us know. We'll let you know whatever we can do for you, okay? Y'all newly married? You got four kids? Four kids. That is amazing. God love. We love kids here. Kids are like a little gift from God is what they are. They are just wonderful little creatures that God gives us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where are y'all from? Arkansas? Okay. There's some mints in the basket. Grab a handful, you circus freaks. Go ahead. Oh, wow. Now, folks, how many of you guys would say it's a little bit hypocritical when it comes to fellowship? You know what I'm saying? Okay, hand sanitizer kind of gives it away, as well as calling each other a bunch of circus freaks. Okay, it's obvious. But seriously, folks, when it comes to fellowship, sometimes this seems to be our attitude. We, we, we either flat out, who gives a rip? Or we just don't want to do it. We don't look forward to it. It's like, oh, I better go. Or when we do do it, we don't want to get too close to those other icky people. <laughs> right? Break out the hand sanitizer. But folks, that's not what we just read. It's a benefit to hang out with each other. It's supposed to be. Why? Because when we hang out together, we, we, we get an opportunity to encourage each other as much as we can so we can become stronger, more effective witnesses for Jesus Christ until he comes back. Why would we want to miss out on that? Why would we want to sanitize ourselves from that benefit? Especially when it's going to get worse than it is even now before it gets better. So I don't know about you, I'd say let's get back to a renewed fellowship. Let's revisit this topic of fellowship, but this time let's go back to the eyes of a beautiful, loving, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, and let's get rid of this churchy anti stuff, amen? The first basic question we've got to ask ourselves if we're going to get rid of this churchy anti stuff towards fellowship is, all right, then why do we do it, okay? Why do we do it? Well, believe it or not, the scripture is pretty replete on this, obviously, and it's this biblical concept, but it's way more than just encouragement. And this one aspect that I want to bring up on why we fellowship uh, I really think we miss out a lot on. It has not always just to do about us. It has to do about the lost. And this is what Jesus says, John chapter 13. Let's take a look at that. He says, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. 
Now you're going to look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Okay, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, so in the meantime, what's he do? A great suggestion I give to you. Something to ponder about. And no, I know, establish 15 committees so you can discuss this and hopefully come to a consensus. I said it before, I'll say it again. For God so loved the world, he did not send a committee. Okay? <laughs> it's a command. It's not a grand suggestion. It's a command. Okay? Love one another. So Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. In the meantime, he says you are to love one one and it's almost hard to spit out, isn't it? Love, love, love. Right? Right? Turn to somebody and say, I need you, man. Okay? I love, this is, this is I love one another. Why? Well, here's the payoff. This is why when we fellowship, we love each other. We encourage one another. Here's the payoff. This is what I think we miss. It's not just for us. As I've loved you, so you must love another. In other words, is it really foreign? Anybody glad that Jesus loved us even when we've been a stinker? Okay? He says, so you must love one another. By all this, here's, here's why we're doing this. Why? Just about you? No. By all this, men, all men will know that you are what? You really are my disciples if you what? You love one another. He says it right there. And so can I simply translate what I believe would be the appropriate response outside of encouragement to the question we pose, why do we fellowship according to Jesus? Let me see if I can be as blunt as I can because it's a powerful fantastic, wonderful, awesome witness to the lost. That's why we do it. He said here, listen, he said when we gather together as fellowship, as Christians, and we get busy loving each other, not hurting each other, not hating each other, and we're just doing the same thing that he's done for us, right? He's, already, he's loved us, right? Anybody glad that Jesus doesn't put stipulations on his love? Aren't you glad that he says, you know what, I, you were doing good, but man, you blew it this week. I didn't like what you said. I didn't like what you did. And therefore, I cut you off. Anybody glad he doesn't do that? He says, you now do that amongst one another. Well, why? Because it's common sense. Listen, here's the whole crux. This is what I think we miss. If this world that has never seen Jesus is going to believe in Jesus, then the followers of Jesus must love like Jesus. I'll say that again for those of you sitting on the back row. Nothing personal. I'm not looking at you. Uh, if th this world that has never seen Jesus is ever going to believe in Jesus, then the followers of Jesus must love like Jesus. Why? Because he wants us to be, listen, here's what we're doing. When we gather together loving each other, we just became a commercial. We became an advertisement for Jesus. Not just individually. We get that. But corporately. All of us together. Isn't that neat? Aren't you guys glad that you finally got your big five minutes of fame? I'm in a commercial, mom. Except this commercial never ends. It starts the day you become saved until you get to heaven. It's an ongoing 24 hours a day commercial for Jesus. We're a walking advertisement for him and the gospel. And listen, it's not the context of a single person. He says it right there. It's plural. When you Christians, when you disciples, that's plural. When you love each other in the context of fellowship, okay, it shows other people, all men, non-Christians, the lost, the world, listen, that Jesus Christ is real. And guess what? They too, therefore, can also have what we have. A beautiful, loving, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. And you get plopped into this thing called the forever family of God. Isn't this awesome? You guys not only get to hear my corny jokes once a week at the beginning of the sermon, but forever. Woo! <laughs> 
Isn't it awesome? But don't worry, the scripture says that there are no tears in heaven, so apparently God will translate them and actually make them funny. Okay, I'm here for you. Okay, but we get to, why, this is awesome. We get to be a part of this family who what? Who loves each other. Who cares for each other. And you think of our world today, what a fantastic witness. Our world today could give a rip, by and large, about how many verses you can quote. Because our world today, I'm not saying don't do it, but our world today doesn't honor this anymore. They're wanting to see the Bible in action in us. Why? Because put it in the context of what we have. We have a godly, spiritual, forever family right now. Right? We're family right now. All of us. Our world families are messed up, aren't they? Broken homes, divorces, single parents, kids who don't even know their father or mother. And here we come, just be who we are. From whatever walks of life, different sizes, different colors, different shapes, it doesn't matter. Different pedigrees, different backgrounds, who cares? We demonstrate to them, <laughs> we get along. And we don't just get along, we love each other. And they see that and they go, listen, this is what Jesus is saying, this is what we miss. When they see that in action, they go, can I be a part of your family? When you love one another, they will know, ah, you're my disciples. Because you're loving each other with the same love that he's already given to us. And so that's the question, okay, when, when we meet together for, as Christians, what kind of fellowship, what kind of commercial are we being to the lost? When a non-Christian comes in here, and hopefully we invite people for next week, and this place is packed, and they join us for the chili cook-off, as we just mix and mingle, because they watch and they hear, and they're not dumb. What kind of commercial are we being? Oh, we're, see, we're a commercial whether we realize it or not. The commercial never stops. I already said that. So the question is, what kind of commercial are we going to be? Are we going to be a horror flick? Right? That's my best psycho impression. I'm sorry, John. Are we going to be some sinful show? Uh, maybe a potty mouth sitcom? No, no, it's a battle scene. Yeah, hopefully. Or are we being what we're supposed to be? A beautiful, awesome storybook romance of people who have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe and who are loving each other. You might as well, because we're going to be together forever in heaven. Right now, here on earth. A great godly family. That's what we're supposed to do. And, and, and folks, I think this is what we miss out on. It's not just for us, okay? The way that we interact with each other can be a profound witness to the lost. Listen, and whether we realize not, God will use our godly, loving interaction and that interaction and just watching us as that commercial literally will become the hand of God. We, we're his body, right? We become his eyes, his ears, his feet. The scripture talks about we're his body. And when they see this fellowship, it becomes the hand of God and it's his way of reaching down to them, stuck in their pit, going, hey, there's a way out of this mess. You can see it in these people, my people, and then we have the privilege of lifting them out of the pit. Like this guy, let's watch. A man fell in a hole. 
He fell in a hole and he couldn't get out. A traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength, and in the hole he remained. something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free. This man lowered himself into the earth, into the pit. He took hold of the man. dragged him into the light. And the man in the hole, who could not get himself out, was saved. Folks, whether we realize or not, our world is sick and tired of being lied to. Our world is sick and tired of all the false religions on the planet that cannot deliver them from their pit of despair. And we remember this before we were Christians. Isn't that the game that we played? We act like we weren't in a pit of despair. We put on this mask, acting like everything was all great, but inside it was a pit of despair. And so no matter what the people around us as non-Christians say, listen, I don't care how good you think you might have it. I don't care what show. I don't care what parade. I don't care what you put on. I know the scriptural truth because I was there. You're in a pit. And you're desperately wishing I could get out of this place. And that's where we come in. God says when we get busy loving each other with the same love that he's already given to us, just interacting in godly fellowship, it literally becomes that rope. It becomes the hand of God extended to them to show them, hey, come on out. You don't have to be in the pit. There really is a way out. God is real and through Jesus Christ, you can be pulled out of that pit. And this is again what I think we miss when it comes to fellowship. Listen, did you know that witnessing doesn't just take place when the preacher preaches? We expect that. That's what he gets paid for. 
Did you know that preaching uh, and sharing the gospel doesn't take place, listen, when we share a gospel tract or a video? And praise God for that. But listen, the scripture says, according to the Bible, it also takes place when God's people get busy loving each other in true, honest fellowship. And can I tell you something? That's what the world is waiting to see. We may be the only Bible that the lost ever read. What version are we giving them? Are we pushing them away? Or are we attracting them to Jesus? By how we treat, listen, each other. And, and you might be thinking, well, hey, Pastor Billy, listen, okay, so what? So I, so I don't get along with everybody in the church, okay? But see, you don't understand. You can't see everything. You don't hear everything. You weren't there. Okay, you have no idea what they said to me. You have no idea what they did. You have no idea what, how wrong it was. You don't know what they did. And because of that, they don't deserve to be my friend. Number one, are you glad that that's not the kind of love that Jesus loves us with? And number two, did you know that the Bible says that if you're a child of God and you don't not only not do that, but if you keep doing that, did you know it might be an indicator that uh, you're still a child of the devil? Yeah. How you treat each other as professing Christians is actually an acid test whether or not you're really a Christian. Now you can fool me, and we can fool each other. Nobody fools God. And the scriptures replete with all these acid tests. God throws out, oh really? You're going to say you belong to me? I'm not saying you're perfect, but by and large, this should be the pattern of your life. And this is just one passage dealing with this. Very clear, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the who are. The devil. So what's your two choices? Everybody's saying they're a child of God. But God says, oh really? You want to know who's who? Here you go. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Nor anyone who does not love his what? Brother. Not just your neighbor. Not just your co-worker. Specifically, he uses the Christian phrase, your brother in Christ. I didn't say this, God did. According to the Bible, here's your acid test. If you want to prove not only to the church, if you want to prove to the world that you're not a child of the devil, you no longer belong to this wicked world system, you really have been redeemed and pulled up out of that pit of despair, when you become a child of God, what is one of the things you do? You not only do what is right, why? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commands. Number two, he says, you get busy loving each other. Turn to somebody and say, I need you, man. You get busy loving each other. We don't hurt each other. We don't beat each other up. We love each other. It's not just doing what is right. It's loving with the same love that Jesus gives to us. That's your acid test. Okay? And if you're wondering, well, what, is this, what does this Christian love look like? I mean, how, how do you love your brother? I mean, how, how can I demonstrate that I, I have been redeemed. I, I, I really do love Jesus Christ. Well, believe it or not, it's really not that difficult. I think we try to complicate it. But if you really want to demonstrate that you're really a child of God and that you love your brother, then you'll act no different than this dog. Let's take a look. This is truly amazing. Here's a dog who's been hit by a car trying to cross the road. There he is trying to cross the road, and he gets hit and is now just lying in the middle of this busy highway 
and a second dog spots him and tries to get over to him. Now here's the first dog again being hit. He's lying there in the middle of the road, busy time of the highway, and here comes the second dog who grabs him, not by with his teeth, but actually gets him with his paws around his neck and drags him in the middle of all this traffic off the road to safety, little by little, inch by inch. Finally, some workers spot the dogs and come over and help them. And by the way, the injured dog lived. A dog. A dog gets it. A, a dog was willing to risk its own life. The traffic didn't stop there. To save one of its own kind, a dog. And so here's the point. How about us in the church? Are we acting like friends? In our time of need, are we somebody else's hero? Are we willing to put our lives on the line for our fellow brother or sister in Christ? Can I tell you something? If not, something's wrong. And can I tell you something? This stings. According to the Bible... That dog is a better Christian than you. Because that's what Christians who are redeemed of Jesus Christ and appreciate His love on a daily basis does for them. They just hang out with fellow Christians. It becomes one big celebration and we just get busy sharing it with each other. Even a dog knows that. Why do we fellowship? Because folks, it's not just about us. It certainly is for encouragement. But as we just saw, again, this is what I think we miss. When we get busy loving each other, putting our lives on the line for each other as the church, it becomes a fantastic, godly commercial for the lost. It shows them that God is real, that they really can have a relationship with Him as well as us through Jesus. And at that moment, guess what? They get to become a part of God's forever family. They get to be encouraged. They get to encourage us. And the family just grows and gets bigger and better and more encouraging. And isn't that awesome? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Amen? That's why we fellowship. The second thing we're going to have to take a look at is the next question. That is, all right, what is fellowship then? Exactly what is it? Well, thanks for asking, Robert. Works well with my notes. Unfortunately, we'll have to get with that next week. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? 
Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how... Uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the heart, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. 
Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.